people of the Soviet Union would like to ask the Kanamits precisely, and I repeat that to him, precisely what are your motives in coming here quite uninvited? Are we to assume that there is no ulterior motive beyond this vast humanity you speak of? Well, there is nothing ulterior in our motives, nothing at all. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys, uh, um, I don't know, uh, are are alive and well and didn't come back from the dead and then at two to three eggs. That's what I'm hoping after you know, after last week with the last rites of Jeff Myrtlebank. Hopefully you guys put on some uh, a clean pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully and, you're keeping up with the Facebook because uh, <laughs> Paul has milked that one all through the week. <laughs> oh, you know, if, if, if it's like as we as a, as a tradition on the show, not only do we talk about a dead horse and then we beat it into the ground as we keep talking about it. So, yeah. Lowest, <laughs> I figured I should continue one more time. Yeah. Lowest common denominator as that's what I strive for. So, yes. All right. Um, this episode uh, is it's a big one. It's uh, to serve man. Season three, episode twenty four. Uh, air date was March second, nineteen sixty two. So actually, there's a number of things to talk about here. So we'll, we'll try to get through as fast as possible. Uh, number one song is Duke of Earl by Gene Chandler. We've talked about that previously. Number one film, The Premature Burial. I'm going to guess that you are familiar with this film, Kevin, and maybe even own it. Um, it is, uh, it's a Corman Poe film. I do not own it, oh. but I do know the movie. All right. So I'll say this. Uh, it actually has a screenplay by Charles Beaumont and Ray Russell. So I figured you might have interest in that, that he contributed to a screenplay for a, you know, a Corman Poe film. Yeah. Um, I'll, it, it's one, I think I have the poster. I have like a rotating, um, screensaver on my computer of like different, amazing horror movie exploitation, uh, movie posters that just scroll through. And I think that one is on there. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it sure is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I was not familiar with the film. I know uh, the talk of Corman that he did try making uh, some more, as much as he would make the, the movies that would just try to make an immediate profit. Like he, he was also wanting to, to take some of like the post stuff and make more, not artful is not the right word, but, treat stuff you know like just make make a film like an actual film that's worth watching as opposed to something that's just you turn your mind off and just kind of enjoy so i know he strived yeah. to, to do that yeah I, th- I think uh my favorite stuff from corman is the poe stuff so um i think he succeeded oh perfect so one day i may or may not get to that so but i just figured you would know about it <laughs> and it has a boma connection so that's tied to the show so it's great so um things that happen around uh this air date there's a lot that are, I think, uh, not necessarily important, but it's just 
it's history, right? So uh, March 1st, the very first Kmart opened. Um, just want to mention that like it actually became the world's largest, um, American discount chain in 1964. Why, let's let's say that what would be the largest discount chain? I, I, I put the word world in there. I did not mean to do that. Like the number one world discount chain in America. Um, <laughs> but it became like number one, like after it you know, started here in 62, it was number one in 64, but then it eventually, um, in 1990, it would be, it would yield its spot to Walmart, which was also found in 62. So Kmart, you know, flew high, close to the sun, and then now there's Kmart still around, um, just not so much. Yeah, I was gonna say this March first, uh, they might be gone for good. So. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, that Walmart, you know, whatever happened to it? So all right. Also March first, uh, the Incredible Hulk was introduced in the first issue of the comic book uh, by that name. Uh, on the shelves of American stores and newsstands. So it was actually post dated for, for May, but the way the release schedules was, it showed up in March. Which was eventually turned into a TV show that uh, had an appearance from Richard Keel yeah. in this episode. So, <laughs> that, that, yeah, I did, uh, a, a weird Incredible Hulk connection here. Um, which I think the Incredible Hulk first premiered in. Uh, I just, it, he didn't have his own standalone book. He he showed up in one initially, but then they ended up just calling that book The Incredible Hulk. There was actually a couple Marvel books that had different names, but then the one character would kind of anchor, and they just switched the name over. Like I think, um, what was it? Uh, Tales of Mystery became Thor. Um, yeah, and Batman and th- was uh, Detective Comics. Yeah, this one might be Tales to Astonish. I can't remember, but there was something that they just pivoted into being like, you guys like this? We're going to write more of it. So... All right. And then also on the first, um, the largest ticker tape parade in history took place in New York uh, to salute John Glenn. We've mentioned him a couple times the past couple weeks because, and, you know, as we've been talking about the air dates of this, like history's moved forward in real time, so to speak. Um, so the city sanitation department collected um, 3,474 tons of tossed paper from that parade. Um, and this is compared to an average of 50 tons for parades in the 21st century, meaning that we've gotten a lot more conscious of just throwing paper all over the place, but <laughs> 3,474 tons of paper that were just what? like, congratulations, you went into space and now you're back. Here's paper thrown at you. Yeah. That, uh, what are we throwing out? Like what? <laughs> I don't even understand how you could throw that much paper. I, yeah, like is it confetti? It's no, it's I, the ticker tape, right? No so way that's confetti. supposed to be. Just, it's supposed to be kind of confetti, right? Like you hear the phrase "ticker tape parade," and you yeah. see it a lot in movies where they're just throwing paper all over the place. Um, you know, different times, you know. But yeah, th- that must have been a hell of a thing to see, though, right? Like it had to have been crazy. I'm sure there's television footage of it. I can go back and watch it now. But in my yeah, mind, I, mean, I can yeah. kind of picture it. But like, why? Mm. <laughs> why? I don't know. Throw paper. I just, I mean, as opposed to like, I vote, it's kind of like how they used to throw rice at weddings, but people don't do that anymore because birds die because of it. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's something going on here where it's like, maybe there's a better way to do this. Um, so I feel like I've been to a wedding where I threw rice in the past couple of years. Now you, I feel really bad. You bird murderer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess usually people use bubbles now. Now. Yeah. Cause well, the whole thing with the rice was that the birds would eat it and then they would like go and absorb moisture from like drinking and then the rice would swell up and kill them. So that's, should, you know, somebody should just do like uh, fire extinguishers or like, it's like, you know, we're just going to throw uh, Alka-Seltzer tabs. That's not going to bother any birds or anything if they get them. Right. So, um, yeah. 
Um, and the bubbles are okay, but it's like, you know, you've gotten bubbles at a wedding where it's like, this doesn't do anything. Or like the, the bride and groom come out and it's like, you know, if it, like if there's like a headwind, all, there's no bubbles there. They just all go the other direction. And, but yeah. I guess maybe we should, just, uh, we should have been throwing paper all along. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll just move right back to that. Let's just, let's just go yeah. find loose gravel and throw that. That has to be available, right? Yeah. <laughs> Happy for your day. Here's some gravel. So, all right. Uh, March 2nd, the actual air date. Nitrate, is- <laughs> some nitrate rich uh, gravel. Yes. Them. I'll just throw, um, throw those snap bangs. We'll just go get boxes of snap bangs from, uh, from the fireworks shop and throw them. Um, uh, firecrackers. Yeah. It's just a, one, one M80 to, to well wish the happy couple. <laughs> um, so on March 2nd, the actual air date of this episode, this is per Wikipedia. So there's three things that I want to mention. One, uh, Wilt Chamberlain set uh, his record for scoring 100 points in a game uh, in, in NBA history. Uh, he, uh, what was it? Um, he did this and it was in front of a crowd of only 4,100 people. So like he did this amazing thing that's never been done again since. And like, you know, only really, only a few people saw it, but he scored a hundred points in a single game by himself. Ended up, uh, the team he was with, um, the Warriors beat the Knicks 169 to 147. That, so that means the rest of his team contributed 69 points while he contributed 100. So yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, so the other thing too, other two things, John Bon Jovi was born on March 2nd, uh, oh 1962. I know, I know you were excited about this. He was born John Bon Jovi, or I might even saying that right, in, uh, in New Jersey. So I would change my name to Bon Jovi as well if I had that. Um, and then the other thing Wikipedia noted is that for this day and date, one of the most famous episodes of the Twilight Zone to serve man was first shown on television. So I just wanted to bring that up in day and date. If people weren't aware of what happened this day when this episode aired, this episode aired. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. I, but I thought it was worth noting that it was actually on the Wikipedia article about this day. It was specifically referencing the episode we're about to talk about. Yeah. I mean, this is a famous episode. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse. Yes. I mean, it, the imagery is something I've seen my entire life. Mm-hmm. I thought I had seen this episode possibly. And uh, it turns out I have not <laughs> until I watch it for the show. Me too. I, I actually thought I'd seen it previously and I did not. Um, I think part of this is, and we could talk about maybe the legacy of it a little bit later. There, there's two things this week that I've covered, we're covering on this show. And then the other show that I do invasion, the podcast, where we talked about the shining and I'm much more familiar with the Simpsons Treehouse of terror take on the shinning. And then also, um, the, the, the Simpsons version of this, I forget the name of the, uh, it was hungry or the damned is the name of the segment. So I'm much more familiar and have seen that multiple times. That, but I've never seen this. So it's weird that I'm familiar with the context. I just never had seen the original source material. Interesting. I haven't uh, seen either. Well, I've seen The Shining, but um, <laughs> I haven't seen The Simpsons shinning. You've never, you've never, the, you've uh, not Simpsons. seen The Simpsons, like The Shining takedown that they, they did. It's amazing. It's from their no. earlier Treehouse of Terror. Yeah, I have uh, all the Treehouse of Terrors taped on my DVR from like four years ago. And every, every year. It comes around to Halloween again. I'm like, I'm gonna go through all of them. Oh, I never do. Just I've I've seen a good handful of them, but I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, the shitting's the best one, just because there's the whole thing of like where Homer is at the the typewriter, or he's near the typewriter, and Marge comes up, and it was like, it's appearing into his mind, and then he she looks at the typewriter, and it says feeling fine, and then lightning flashes, and then all over the Colorado room is scrawled, uh, no beer and no TV make Homer go crazy. 
and he's standing behind her and he's like, no, no beer, no TV, make Homer go something, something. And she's like, go crazy. Don't mind if I do. And he's a starts chasing her all over the place. It's, it's a great beat. So that's not this episode. I'm sorry. I'm talking about the Simpsons. That's a way different show, but it's just weird that the, these iconic moments of pop culture, I'm much more familiar with in a Simpsons frame than I am by actually just experiencing it myself initially. Yeah. So you want to jump into casting crew then for this one? Sure. Got a lot there, to get a, to yeah. These. I'm sorry. I'm dragging along here and we're talking. Yeah. Let's just get to casting crew. Oh, we're good. So this episode was directed by Richard L. Bear, um, who we've previously talked about on third from the sun. He also did purple Testament, Nick of time, the prime, the prime mover. And uh, he's going to be doing two other episode episodes. Uh, one of which I think is next week. Um, yeah, and he actually, that. he did the initial filming for this, and then James Sheldon, who he's directed episodes for the show previously, and I don't have off the top of my head what he directed, yeah. came in to do Long reshoots. Distance Call, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, did, a lot of the video and, ones, yeah. Um, uh, one more that's uh, slipping my mind right now, but I, I definitely, Long Distance Call was uh, James Sheldon. Um, yeah, he came in and did some mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> shoots to try and save this episode <laughs> later on. Yeah, we'll talk about um, that when we get there. Yep, so teleplay by Rod Serling, based on a short story by Damon Knight. That takes all of my power to say Damon and not Demon. Demon, yes. <laughs> um, great name, though. I wish my name was Damon Knight. <laughs> yeah, but then if you uh, if you went around and people like saw your initial, you'd be called D-Knight. I don't know how I feel about that. Like They'd be like, what's up, D-Knight? <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, Damon Knight. Like that's That feels like that should have been the name of um oh uh, david hasloff's character and um and baywatch knights even though he had a different name on baywatch he should have been called damon knight for baywatch knights or yeah. even michael knight like he was he should have been called damon knight and knight rider that would have been a, like a way cooler name yeah yeah damon francis knight that's francis. his full name i guess <laughs> i guess he was born as damon knight that's crazy mm-hmm. i i would have figured it was a uh pen like, name a pen or something name? yeah yeah like, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's a uh, short story author who, I mean, he, uh, I guess he was doing cartoon drawing for amazing stories and stuff and transitioned into writing his own short stories, never really made into, uh, made it into doing novels or anything. But um, yeah, this is his big claim to fame. He won multiple awards over uh, um, to serve man and ended up getting turned into the twilight zone and. Uh, this is pretty much what people know him for. Yeah. So he actually, I think he got retroactively awarded a Hugo award, like mm-hmm. like years later because of this. Uh, gratefully so. Um, and then he also, this thing became like, because it was so well known, he kind of, it was like his kind of humble brag of going out and like letting people know that he wrote this. Like, and so there was a story of how one Christmas he actually got nice little binded copies of the short story. Uh, like this really nice printing that he gave to members of his family, you know, that they're just like, thanks. Thanks. You know, thanks uncle Damon. We know you did this, but he handed <laughs> out, but this was later. He made like printed copies of this story to give to his family members. So it's like, that's cool. But it, it'd be like, I don't know if like you're related, like, like let's say that, you know, I was like, you know, a relative of Stephen King. He'd be like, Hey, I got you a side copy of this book. I'm like, thanks. You know, like, yeah. Or like <laughs> if I just gave out like, from uh, like albums from my band, yeah, my family like, for Christmas, yeah. like no, not just albums. Our, but here's like, our latest EP, guys. Like, here's a CD signal. 
like you, know, it's, you, you can you can listen to it in your car, you know, like so. That's yeah. I, I was gonna say so. I I I did get a chance to check out the short story, and uh, it's like a whopping six pages long. So the <laughs> the idea that you got like binded copies of this, like, did, were they like? two inches by three inches so it would look thicker or maybe something. they were the size <laughs> of those little those little golden books what do you call those little kids books like the ones that oh have, yeah like, the cart, yeah like, that would... like the little golden ribbon books or whatever or i like the idea that maybe the person whoever it was we talked about um time enough at last and like that story is like a page and a half like, that'd be like that person being like guys guys i got you a hardcover of that like <laughs> <laughs> So, but whatever, you know, like if, if I wrote something that ended up becoming like this iconic imagery, I don't know, man, it'd be hard for me not to go to the bar and be like, yeah, I'll get a beer. And then as I'm talking, I'm like, oh no, I dropped my copy of this Twilight Zone story that people know. I wrote I it, by just, the way. I would just have a t-shirt with Richard Keel on it as yes. the alien, just like <laughs> walking around like, hey yeah. guys, <laughs> like, oh, what's cool your shirt? alien, right? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just this shirt. Um. So I wrote this uh, short story that got turned into a Twilight Zone episode. I don't know if you've ever heard of that show, um, but this is actually a, a shot from the episode. Like you purposely go <laughs> every time you go anywhere, you go to restaurants and be like, how may I serve you? It's like, funny you say that, you know, and just like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just, he wrote a lot of like short story, science fiction. Uh, he, his only two uh, writing credits in terms of like TV is this episode of Twilight Zone? And then he did like two episodes of Captain Video and his Video Rangers, which that sounds way cooler than it probably is. But yeah. it's like, it's interesting that something like this hit as hard as it did and he didn't get other attention because you think short stories would be the perfect like format for television, you know? Like you think there'd be something something more there. But he seemed very happy that the the way this this, you know, ultimately what happened, even though there's changes from the story to the, uh, the, the show. And I'm, we might talk about that later. And he had a lot of discussions with uh, Sterling about it. He's ultimately very happy to kind of know that he kind of, he, he carved out his niche, you know, for one thing and, you know, the, good on him. Like, you know, you, yeah. Yeah. It, it, this, it's, this is the equivalent of a one hit wonder in the sense of like the greater, the greater knowledge, but Hey, people still know it. Yeah. I'm just surprised because it, it looks like he has probably 70 or so short stories, um, probably about 15, 20 novels or so. I'm surprised nothing else ever got optioned for anything, you know, with yeah. all the other anthology shows going on. Um, it, it, it seems like they were picking from so many of his peers in all these sci-fi adventure magazines. Like I, it, it's just really shocking that none of his other stuff ever got picked up. I mean, for goodness sakes, L. Ron Hubbard has more stuff produced as, as like movies and shows yeah. than, you know, and, um, but you'd think of Sterling kind of gave you his, you know, like his attention that that would draw everybody else to you, you know, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, maybe by, the rest of his, uh, stories are terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so two other things about this, just real quick one, his best known story. He does, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ahead. He does have a, a story called time enough. Oh, <laughs> and the sequel is called at last but uh he said he wrote the story during a disastrous like time in his first marriage on a day when his wife was out with another man that's messed up um and then also he has a quote here and I, this is the great quote uh it occurs to me now and then that maybe a critic ought to not write about any author until the latter is dead but i'm afraid some of you bastards will outlive me like <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah um well, he was a critic himself um, and an editor 
paper. It's, I'm not quite sure what publication. Um, yeah, he got so he got it, a claim for that too. Like he actually was kind of known for that role. Yeah, I didn't put it in my notes, but I did read about that. You're right. Yeah, it doesn't really list what um, publications he was for that, but um, I think he was more uh, more known as being like an editor and and critic. So at least he kind of had a sense of humor about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, before we get into the actual cast, I just want to mention this has featured music from Jerry Goldsmith from the episodes Back There and The Invaders. And I know you yes. love the music from Back There, so I'm sure when this started kicking in, you're like, "This here we go. This is and, and, and I will agree, it was much more, this fit better for this episode, but it was great to hear that music again. Yeah, it's still my ringtone from when we covered Back There. Uh, I just turned my ringtone off because you guys may have heard it <laughs> <laughs> during the episode. Um yeah, I, I love the back there music, and you're right. It does it does fit this a lot more. Yeah, and um, I I don't know. It, I feel like it fit back there as well, though. It was, did, but like I I don't know. Like that one, it, it was setting the music set the expectation for something way bigger than what actually happened in that episode, which is a weird thing to be like, Oh, the, the mood in this is going to make me feel like something big's going to happen. And then it was just, you know, the professor from Gilligan's Island pounding on doors and then getting drunk in John Wilkes, John Wilkes Booth's room, you know, like that, that's kind of, <laughs> kind of got, you know, kind of got off the rails pretty fast, but this one, yeah, it, this it, one's it, trying to unsettle you. It gave a very sinister oh. tone to everything going on. And I appreciate that. Yeah. So, no, I was very happy to see both of those are incredible scores from the series. So if you're gonna if you're gonna reuse some music, I don't think I could. You'd be hard pressed to pick any better uh, pieces than oh, what yeah. they did for this one. So we'll jump into cast here. We have Lloyd. Oh man, I can't read ba- my handwriting. Bachner, yeah. who plays Michael Chambers. This was his only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, he was speaking of. Uh, um, uh, it, not Poe, but some Lovecraft stuff from um, Roger Corman, the Dunwich Horror. Uh, he was in Point Blank with Lee Marvin. And then I found this movie that's actually on Amazon Prime right now. is a TV movie called Satan's School for Girls. Hmm. That's a detective that goes in to investigate some sort of murder at a girls' school and gets drawn into a satanic cult. Oh, all right. I mean, made for TV, it, you know. We'll see. I mean, that that sounds. I like the premise. That's uh, interesting it's, enough. It's, yeah. it's surprisingly uh, pretty well rated hmm. on some of the websites I go to. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to check it out. And the fact that it was streaming on Prime just blew my mind. Being a made-for-TV '70s movie. Well, but. make a note of it and watch it. And let me know if it's something that that feels like that'd be a nice detour. Like for the show, it seems weird enough, right? So if it actually is quality, I think that'd be fun to visit if it's worth the time. Yeah, I mean, I still have a copy of uh, the night that God screamed. Oh, yeah. I still haven't got no, to no, we need, Yeah, we need to get to that too. That 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 also sounds pretty intense. So yeah, we got a yeah. lot of a lot of ideas. So like, yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, well, yeah, as I, much try, fun- I try and just save all these weird movies we discover just based on the title. Yeah, and uh, one day I'm going to get to them, and they're not going to live up to what I have built up in my mind. But right, that's okay. So I also found that he actually did a voice uh, in Batman, the animated series. He was in nine episodes as the mayor. So that's kind of cool. Like, I mean, it's not not the biggest character, but enough that, you know, you were consistently in part of the series. And that's something that, um, you know, that I enjoyed watching growing up. So it's always kind of a nice connection to like something that was current for me at the time. 
So yeah, yeah. he's got a great voice. Oh, he too. has a great voice. Yeah. Um, say what you will about his performance in this. His voice is fantastic. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Susan Cummings, who plays Patty. This was her only Twilight Zone appearance and couldn't really find too much else for her. Did you, you did you look at her IMDb.com photo? Like, I just want to mention it looks like she fell down. Like, she looks like she just fell down. Like, she's about to get back up. Uh, it's pretty oh, great. It's supposed to be weird. like this. It's supposed to be like this, like sexy pose or something, but it looks like she just felt she, she looks scared. I <laughs> yeah, don't like it. Like, like the photographer's coming for it. It's like, what's going yeah, on? I, I yeah. I don't, I don't like that at all. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so she was German born. Uh, and you wouldn't know. Cause I feel like if she didn't have many speaking lines in, in the episode and, but you know, like sometimes you could, some, some of that kind of falls apart and it kind of comes through. I wouldn't have known that she was like, that was a really good fake American accent she had on in her few scenes. So, I mean, people could do it, but I wouldn't have known. So that's all I got for her though. Unfortunately. Yeah. She was in a movie called swamp women too. Yeah. I saw that. That sounds kind of amazing. Uh awesome poster for that one. what if it's just a bunch of sweaty women in the south what if that's what the movie is for? <laughs> just sitting around like, not doing anything they're like oh we're swamp women it's like i know this is once this humidity breaks we'll just go take a shower but right now we're swamp women probably um, not that movie <laughs> no probably not at all all Sorry. right now to uh my mvp of the episode yes. here we have richard keel who plays the the canamite and uh You'd probably know him as Jaws from James Bond. Um, I think that's what most people know him as. Mm-hmm. Um, I know him from Ega. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, um, I, I did. Uh, the, the the revival of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which will... Uh, because Ega will play into this a little bit later. They did a, a tour a couple years ago. They did one again recently, but they were showing... They were doing Ega live and then another movie. And we happened when they came to Cleveland, they did Ega. And I got to go to Playhouse Square and watch them, like you know, mock that movie in, in real time, and it was a, it was a, it was a blast. Yeah, I mean that that movie is really fun, even without Mystery Science Theater behind <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, he's fantastic in that one. Uh, then next up, I have Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood. Uh, he pops up in that one, and then more recently, that I just uh, checked out a few months ago, he was in the pilot episode for Man from Uncle. <laughs> I was, I was really pumped to see him pop up in that one as like a guard in the background. Was he just called um, teeth or like mouth or something? No, like, <laughs> no, it's just, he's, he's one of those people when he pops up, it's, it's unmistakable. Oh yeah. Um, I uh, also remember him from mis- being Mr. Larson and happy Gilmore. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. That's <laughs> probably the best part of that movie. This is shirt uh, where it says, yeah. guns don't kill people. I do. And he's like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, amazing i'll I'll see you at the parking lot like (laughs) (laughs) um so before he became an actor he worked in numerous jobs including a nightclub bouncer and a cemetery plot salesman just think about that for a second like you know like that is the least comforting person (laughs) i would ever want to sell me a (laughs) gravesite yeah just be like uh we're looking at plots for my husband don't kill him yet you know like like he seems like a really nice guy though from everything i've read about him but it's like he is i was gonna bring up uh he was at cinema wasteland probably like eight or nine years ago now he was he was in a wheelchair at that point but he was one of the nicest guests ever there um we got to talk to him very briefly um but he was he was so happy to be there um 
every time you saw him, he just had this huge grin on his face. Such a, such an awesome guy. So uh, rest in peace, Richard Keel. Yeah. So uh, we talked about the Incredible Hulk. It was actually down to him and Schwarzenegger for the role, but the Schwarzenegger turned it down for probably a good reason. Um, but then they brought Keel in, and then they're like, oh, we like him because of his height, but he doesn't really like look muscular like the Hulk. And so they dismissed him and then brought in, um, you know, Ferrigno, which yeah. makes more sense. Uh, but this the idea of this, like, like he's a big dude. Don't get me wrong. Like he has, he has a presence, but he's kind of lanky when you think of like the Hulk, you know, like, so I can see why they, they went a different direction. Um, and he was also offered the role of uh, Chewbacca and he turned it down because he just didn't want to be in the suit. So like, that's, you know, good on him to be like, I want to actually be in front of the camera and develop characters as opposed to just being a guy, you know, in a, a rug, like, you know, gargling in, in Star Wars. Yeah, I probably would have taken Star Wars. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point, how would you know it would turn into what it turned into? Yeah. Um, but uh, what would you just bring up before that? Um, oh, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. yeah I, as much as I love Richard Keel, I don't think he had... Uh, I, I don't think he would have been able to pull off uh, no. kind of having a lead role in the TV show. <laughs> so, I mean, th- that would have been a very different show. <laughs> like, I could say that for sure. You won't like me when I get angry. I just get taller, and um, you know, it's like okay, that's cool. You get you know, you get a little bit more uh, more lanky there, Bixby. You know, like you can get angry and reach the cookie jars that no one else can reach. You know, like that would have been like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He's legitimately terrifying though. In he, the bond series. I mean, you know, he, he has a presence. You're right. I just, but when I think of like the Hulk, I just, it's not, it's not the same frame, you know? And I feel like that's, yeah. you know, for Rigno as far as he's not a very tall guy in real life, but like he still had, he still had that kind of that, that nice, it didn't look like the Hulk. So b- yeah, better Hulk. he was, yeah. he was proportion. <laughs> yeah. That's the right word. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so next up we have Hardy Albright who plays the secretary general. This was his only twilight zone appearance. Uh, didn't really have anything else for him. I don't know if you have anything. No, just a lot of TV Westerns, which seems to be, it's, it's appropriate for the time. That's what a lot of people got their work there. Yep. We have Theodore Marcuse who plays citizen Gregory. Uh, he was in one other future episode of the Twilight Zone and one episode of Hawaiian Eye. So nice. Take a drink. I um, I did not actually write that down. That's surprising. Uh, I wrote down lots of TV, two episodes of Batman. He was an episode of Playhouse 90, so there's a connection there. Um, but he's he's probably my favorite non-Richard Keel character in, in this episode because he's Citizen Gregory and he just eats sandwiches and looks bored. So I appreciate him. Yeah, he really got shafted uh, in the teleplay version of this story because uh he's pretty much the second main character in the short story and he gets split up um between citizen gregory and patty and patty gets most of his his uh (laughs) his more important role Mm. in the story so um yeah citizen gregory uh didn't didn't fare well with serling and we have bartlett robinson who plays colonel number one and we previously talked about him in the back there episode, which this episode took its music from. So <laughs> he just shows up. He's like, guys, he's like, I got some music here. And they're like, okay, great. They're like the, you know, he's brought it with him. Like, I like to think yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> then we have Carlton young who plays Colonel number two. This was his only twilight zone appearance. And, uh, yeah, he had a hell of a career, uh, 250 credits, uh, 
nothing that I was too familiar with, but uh, a character actor. I so, mean. so he was in uh, in nineteen thirty six Reefer Madness, um, and uh, which you know obviously people go back and look at that now as being that you know uh, propaganda about you know, about the reefer and the jazz cigarettes you know but um so i looked up on his his, his uh wikipedia page he had a few interests beyond acting and this is what it says here just just bear with me for a second it's worth it forming the los angeles smog corporation to manufacture cans of genuine los angeles smog which reportedly were sold in the fun shop at the farmer's market and the words fun shop are in quotes so i don't know if that's the real name of the place or that's what they just called it um <laughs> Uh, so one of his friends listed as vice president of corporation, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so, uh, he, it was kind of like, he just sold these novelties of Los Angeles smog and, uh, supposedly one of his sons still actually has one of the cans that was labeled LA smog, but yeah, he was just making like just gag gag things to sell, but he was like, uh, you know, a part of this Los Angeles smog corporation. So I appreciate the effort that they went to just to sell air in a can, like, you know, like a space balls joke. Yeah. That's kind of funny. It's kind of like Acme Looney Tunes mm-hmm. <laughs> business. I, I enjoy that. Um, then uh, next up, we have Nelson Olmstead, who plays Scientist. Uh, he was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. This was his only Twilight Zone appearance. He is like a mini Serling, and I'll, I'll mention this. Oh, you should look at his Wikipedia photo while I, t- I t- describe him. Uh, he is sometimes he actually was known for his uh, his unusual NBC radio series called Sleep No More. Uh, from 5657, in which he narrated his own adaptations of terror tales and science fiction fantasy. Uh, and then before that, he actually had a radio show called Black Knight from 37 to 39, a 30 minute horror series. And it was local, and but he did like voices and wrote stories for everything and actually got a pretty big following. So he it's he has a bit role here, but it's like you could tell that he was, you know, birds of a feather. Like this guy sounds like a cool guy. It's just that we. I don't know how much of his stuff is still out there, but I yeah. liked his, uh, yeah, I liked his photo. This, sound his, really cool. His Wikipedia photo. If you didn't look it up, it's just, it looks like he's just exasperated by having children. Like, I love his Wikipedia <laughs> photo. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty cool stuff there. And I like the titles of the show sleep no more and black Knight. Those are cool titles. Just take a minute to smoke his pipe. Just yeah. Get away like, from the family. Like, Goddamn you know? kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's a mustache though. Look at that thing. Yeah, it's pencil pen. <laughs> um, so we have Robert Taffer who plays Senor Valdez. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. Don't really have anything else for him. No. Uh, Lomax Study who plays Levesque. This is uh, his only Twilight Zone appearance. Nothing else for them. His last credit was 2000's MVP Most Valuable Primate. So I just want to point that out. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I think I, when I was on his uh, IMDb page earlier, there was a monkey in the corner. Well, there you go. It might be the most valuable primate. Oh, yeah. There it is with mm-hmm. the hockey jersey on. Yeah. yeah. It's the air butt effect, right? Because that did well. So we had, you had to throw an animal out there in a sport and you got a movie. It's actually Air Bud Entertainment Presents MVP, <laughs> most valuable Christ. primate. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> you're you were more correct than you thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right uh we have jerry fujikawa who plays the japanese delegate who we previously talked about on quality of mercy mm-hmm. and he plays the uh, uh the japanese sergeant or um 
lieutenant or whatever it was uh, who was ever in charge of the Japanese platoon in that episode. And the last credit I'll mention, because it's uncredited role, is Joseph Ruskin as the voice of Kanemit. He was the genie in Man in a Bottle. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, we'll talk about his work, I'm sure, yeah. in this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Um, it's been a long. It's been a long journey. Let's just uh, unless, unless you have uh, any other. There was. Uh, there's so many people in this episode that I'm. I got to a point where I'm like, I'm done. Like, I just felt like the main, the main cast. And there's like still like 12 more people. I'm like, I am. I am not going there. I feel bad because maybe there are amazing people that showed up in things later. We'll never know. So that's all I got. Yeah, so I, I'm convinced they credited everyone that's in the stock footage of the UN because <laughs> there are so many uncredited people in this episode. Like it the, is the, uh, the typesetters for the newspapers that they printed. Like they're like, we got to give them credits as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are people just uncredited dignitary. Yeah, like multiple people, UN official. It's it's crazy. This is probably the biggest cast listing we've ever had. So for, funnily uh, enough, own episode. When, when we were talking about the production this later, some of the stuff that was reworked, there's people cut and Robert McCord was cut out of a part of the, one of the scenes. So a oh, guy that's been in like man. everything gets cut out of this one. So I just, I thought that was funny that like they, <laughs> you can't win them all. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's just, let's just get into this. Um, let, let's certainly take it away. Respectfully submitted for your perusal, a canimate height, a little over nine feet. Weight in the neighborhood of 350 pounds. Origin unknown. Motives? Therein hangs the tale. For in just a moment, we're going to ask you to shake hands figuratively with a Christopher Columbus from another galaxy and another time. This is the Twilight Zone. Yeah, so I will that say music. it's good music, right? Um, submitted, like what he said, was submitted for your approval. We didn't say submitted for your approval, but I'm just like, oh my goodness, it's... it's um, uh, are you afraid of the dark? Like I just, that's what it felt like there for a second. Um, but I honestly thought that, uh, the main character that we meet, uh, his, his bit at the beginning of the episode, I really, really thought for a second that we were not going to get a Sterling intro. Cause I thought the yeah, main I, character was subbing in for that. And that was going to be really cool. I was going to say the same thing. Um, cause I, I think it's a good six minutes or so until we get to the Sterling intro. Yeah. Um, and it, it it's, it's jarring to hear a voiceover from one of the actors in the Twilight Zone because what this might be the third, maybe fourth episode with a uh, narration from a character. Well, there was the um, oh, there's Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker, uh, and then we had the wraparound for the Howling Man, but that wasn't really that was the beginning and end. Um, yeah, there isn't a whole lot because I feel like the nature of flashback. It, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it fits fine for the show if you write the script right, but I feel like this is such a short story. A lot of these are short run times. It'd be hard to set up a frame of, now let me tell you about this time. I feel like you're burning daylight if you do that in such a, like a short amount of time. But there's a reason for this, why it happened in this episode, and we'll get to it later. But yeah, it was very, very interesting. Yeah. So we open up with uh, Mr. Chambers, Mr. Michael Chambers, uh, smoking a cigarette on what appears to be a spaceship. Yeah. And uh, it, it turns out to be mealtime. There's a voice coming through asking him what he wants to eat. And uh, he, before he answers, he puts his cigarette out, stomps it out on the floor, and uh, the voice tells him to use the disposal for the cigarette and not to put that on the floor. 
Um, But he ends up just turning down the food. So did you see the light bulb that was above the door frame? Like that weird, like, uh, you know, the twisty light bulb that was firing off whenever it was like the voice was talking to him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's the same one that was in the chest of the two headed alien from Mr. Dingle, the strong, by the way. Um, So that was, you know, that's a nice little callback to be like, that was a Martian with a light in his chest. And then that's the same light they used for this. So, you know, you use all. Do you think they went to their planet and ripped that light bulb out of the chest of that alien? Maybe because we learned that the one guy died like a month after shooting. So maybe that's what happened. You know, like they're like, (laughs) it was a mercy kill. That's a bad joke, but I'm going to make it anyway. It is. (laughs) (laughs) You were trying to make it story related. I just, I brought in real life tragedy. Um, but um, so I like that, um, that the, the room is kind of has like a push button set up where he goes over to push the button for the mirror to flip around and then like the sink. And I'm like, you know, like, I know it's a, like basically like a prison cell, but there's probably people in New York right now that pay good money for a micro loft that everything just fits in the walls. So I feel like he's in a pretty good spot. Like, but I like, I like the push button automation. Yeah. And so as he's washing his fa- face, the, uh, voice, comes over again tells him to conserve the water um you could tell he's getting frustrated he ends up sitting back down and he asks him what time it is and the voice is saying that there's no time in space and uh, um so he he gets more and more frustrated he's like i just want to know what time it is on earth and he tells him it's noon so that's when we get the first of the narration mm-hmm. and uh it starts a flashback back to a uh, random april day and He's just kind of setting the scene on how there's been so many, uh, not necessarily disasters, but looming disasters of, uh, you know, um, nuclear attacks. Um, I, I guess that's really all well, it's the whole thing, like, he, in the flashback. He, he's but, talking about how we're, we should, we were watching the clock. We should have been watching the calendar. Like it's this whole thing of like, we were so focused on the now that we didn't think about the later. You know, so yeah. that, and he was talking about this, like, you know, all the stuff going on and it shows this wonderful stock footage of 1940s, New York, by the way. Um, and yeah. And then, then UFOs show up and it's, yeah. It's, so, it's, yeah. Well, I, I like, I, I want to mention it cause yeah. he says, you know, it's a, a civilization teetering on disaster and, um, it, there was so much going on and so much to be afraid of. Eventually it just, everyone became numb to it. So when the UFOs came, came it was something new mm-hmm. that uh, kind of uh, sparked that fear in everyone again yeah um, so then you get the first of stock uh, i i don't want to say stock footage but um they pulled footage from the day the earth stood still um for the first uh image of the ufo coming over washington yeah, it's effective. I mean, because that, it, you know, like the day of the earth just still holds up pretty well. And it's like, how else do you show UFO? It works. Um, but I liked, like, as much as I feel like this episode is clunky um, story wise, and again, there's reasons for it, uh, it was kind of nice to see a bigger picture going on with the Twilight Zone. Because normally, because of budget and runtime, you don't always get these, like, world involving stories. You just usually get, like, two or three people. So I kind of yeah, appreciate a couple, that. a couple of people in the room, which I do like. I mean, how how many times have we championed this on the show mm-hmm. of just getting a couple of people in a room and telling a fantastic story? But it it is refreshing, especially with that uh, 
the music that they pulled from the previous episodes, it feels like there's a high production value in this episode. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't realize that they're pulling from stock footage and from other movies and from other episodes, um, it would definitely it, it kind of tricks you into thinking this is a bigger budget, bigger picture thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that um, when we get to the UN, and I just got to ask you, what's a bigger science fiction leap? Uh, aliens coming down to visit us or the world government's working together? You know, that feels like that's <laughs> something. Uh, but they're having this discussion about like what they expect, and you hear about all these different landings. Um, but then um, what was it? They said the first landing was in Jersey, which I just want to point out. That's the same day Bon Jovi was born. So like the day this episode aired. So, I mean, you got to question really where Bon Jovi is from. You know, that's that's my point. But uh, I want to say that they landed in Jersey, so no wonder the aliens were suspect of us to begin with. I think that's. Um, but I, I just yeah. want to know what uh, Bon Jovi's ulterior motives are. <laughs> like, I know you're giving this uh, this music to us, but what do you want in return? Right, right. You know, we don't know yet. Like, there's there's got to be something else. I've yet to decipher his lyrics. <laughs> one day, one day the bill's going to come due for the Jovi and we're all going to like, we're going to be like, we, we, it was in front of us the entire time and we did not know, you know? So yeah. Yeah. So the secretary general generals holding a press conference. Um, and he's basically telling everyone to keep calm. We don't think that they're hostile. Um, please don't make any hostile moves towards them. Um, we just need to keep calm and see what they do. And somebody asked what they look like. And sure enough, uh, apparently a UFO has landed just a couple blocks away. So, uh, one of the alien, the can, I, I say it different every time. Canamite. 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 Canamite, uh, yeah. aliens is actually uh, like a delegate's going to come in and speak to us. So I like the way they introduce it. Cause they kind of leave it in mystery before mm-hmm. the commercial break. So when the alien walks in, you kind of catch a glimpse of the robe and then you see just the shadow and the outline of it in the shadow against the wall as it's walking into the room. And then they leave you just with a shot of the back of the giant head of the alien yeah. before it goes. To, it wipes over to Serling. No, it's it's cool. I, I, I thought that was a nice ominous type of thing. Right. So then. Uh, so you have that and then it cuts to Serling. It's one of those uh, whip pans that and he's not on set, which would have been awesome to have him there. But like he, he was actually on vacation for a lot of this. So that might explain part of what happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just him, you know, giving his intro by a TV camera and they, they kind of match the background. That's fine. Um, I just want to point out where it says shaking hands with the Christopher Columbus from like another world. That seems to me in hindsight, a really big red flag. Cause I don't think Christopher Columbus came with the best of intentions wherever he visited. You know, I know maybe, maybe our view of history's changed a little bit, but it just feels like Serling, you know, I don't know if that's like, you know, how you want to set the story up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it goes to commercial and when it comes back, um, as much as I love the teasing of the alien at the beginning, <laughs> it's pretty jarring because the first shot when you come back from that, uh, fade out is, just Richard Keel is an alien just yeah. staring right into the camera pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I, it, it's, it's it, The makeup is good. It, it's I mean, it's, it's good for TV. It's fine, but it's like, I, I don't know how they, they directed him. I, it just, it, he just has this like aloof, like just distant look on his face where he looks dumb and it's unfortunate. Cause I know he's capable of more than that. 
you know. Um, but it's it's not it's not a very intimidating look. You know, it, it, this is an alien being like, you don't know what they look like. And the first thing you see, it's like, is like, is he, is he the best of the species or is he like the ones that are like, no, Roger, just go out there and talk to everybody. It's fine. You know, like, yeah, if we lose them, it's fine. We can afford to lose Roger. Like, he's good. Um, <laughs> did you yeah. pick Roger? Cause his head kind of looks like Roger from American dad. I don't know. It must've been no. kicked off of my head. No. Cause I, I, the moment I said that out loud, I'm like, Oh yeah, that is the name of the alien from American dad dad so maybe yeah. that that and it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if, if he wasn't influenced the, the design of that wasn't influenced from this and like et you know so yeah roger good enough <laughs> um yeah so I, I apparently they were going for some sort of like calm peaceful look in his face uh they definitely did not get that <laughs> no i no it's like it's it's unfortunate, like because I feel like he you you said it so yourself talking about him, you know, not being Chewbacca, where it's like he has this kind of like face that you want, like he is very distinct, and I feel like this unfortunately is a wasted opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I I I don't know, I, I I don't know what they did. I I think the sunken eyes were a bad idea. Like I think they should have let more of his face come through on yeah. the alien, like because he's got that goatee and everything. And, um, I mean, this is the, I guess I'll speak kind of on differences between the short story and this in the short story, the aliens are supposed to be short, fat and covered in hair and kind of pig like wearing green leather harnesses and green shorts. So they went the complete opposite direction and, uh, made them as tall as possible, uh, hairless humanoid creature with like a metallic robe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe like, because as much as we liked the makeup effects and, um, I have the beholder that was, you know, as much as it still kind of works, it still is very, um, it, it doesn't, you, you get the point of that episode, but I don't know if you did an alien that was more pig like, I don't know how how serious you could take it. So as much as I don't like this design, making it more human, you know, humanoid is probably the right call. I just don't know if I agree with all the designs made, with, the decisions made with the design. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I kind of like, though, is in, in the short story, um, Chambers brings up the point to Gregory that, like, do you not trust them because of the way they look or because of their politics? I thought that was like an interesting mm -hmm. sentence within the short story that never really gets brought up within this uh, within this episode. Um, so that's the only thing that I think was lost uh, within the translation into the teleplay. Um, but yeah, it, it was just kind of a bummer because yeah. Richard Keel, his he he's got a certain um, I don't know. He's intimidating but likable. And none of that comes through in this character in this. So it was, it was kind of disappointing. Well, he also suffered from something similar to like, uh, in terms of like a, a, um, a hormone and glandular problem, like Andre the giant. So I yeah. like there's something yeah. where you have like the thickening of the forehead a little bit. And it's very, you know, it, it, he, it, he, even though he's the sweetest guy in the world world, it's like, you're right. He, he has this like, you know, there's a reason why you want him in front of the camera. And then you, you, you cover up, one of his best assets by putting this big, huge, like, you know, domed head 
like over the bulk of his like I don't know. It just I, I I like I'm sure they cast him for his size and the way he looked, but then they covered up most of it, which is unfortunate. But I just want to point out that in one of the Twilight Zone books I own, the um, Twilight Zone um, Unlocking a Door to a Television Classic, which is the the best of the three that I have by uh, Martin Gramps Jr. There's three images on it on the front cover. One is a, a doll, which we've not gotten to yet from one of the episodes. The second one is him, his face, where he looks like he's about to fall asleep. And then the third one is, um, oh, what is her name from the Invaders? The actress. I. It's gonna Agnes Moorhead. Yes. And the way I'll have to I'll have to post this on the Facebook later. But she's like looking up, and it's like he's right above it, so he looks like he's checked out. And she's like, "What is going on here?" And I feel like <laughs> it's very appropriate because like I didn't realize that was, I've had this book for what two years now. Um, I didn't know that was him. So I think that says a lot. Um, that it, it took some, it took me reading about the episode to be like, Oh, that's him. Or you mentioning last week for me to put two or two together. So I don't know if that's, you know, it, it's, it's fine. It's okay. Makeup job, but I, I, you have this talent or this look and you're, it squandered it. So, yeah. I, I mean, even with the costume design, um, you could have put somebody on stilts or something and put that robe on them. Yeah. And it made somebody look just like that. Like it, it didn't need to be Richard Keel. So I was, I was kind of bummed out about that. Just being as uh, how excited I was uh, last week when I realized <laughs> Richard Keel was in this. Yeah. Um, and and the fact that he is dubbed over, well, not even <laughs> not, dubbed. Not even over. dubbed. <laughs> <laughs> he's just uh, he's just there. Like he, you could have put yeah. a mannequin in from you know the after hours and. <laughs> It, like unfortunately I mean, this is nothing against him like like uh maybe we should talk that's what i said yeah, like yeah. we've seen enough yeah. performances to see that richard keel is a is an able actor yeah. like he's awesome um but yeah it, it was all the decision on the production production of this episode that kind of buries him <laughs> yeah um, um so well, well, even, it sucks yeah it, well he even said that like because he actually got time off from ega to come down to shoot this episode and the guy who directed Ega, which I don't have that in front of me is actually someone who worked with the twilight zone before, um, that understood like what was going on. And so he said, he came down, like drove down, they put him in makeup and he said, by the time they got to shooting the scenes where he gave dialogue, he, he, he felt bad cause he felt like he didn't give the best performance cause he was tired. So I'm sure that everybody on set's like, what are we going to do with this guy? You know, so like he feels like he let down everybody by not giving the best performance when it came to him delivering dialogue. So he blames himself. I don't know if it's necessarily 100 percent on him, though. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it would be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, the alien speaks through uh, telepathy. So we have the voiceover. Um, so Richard Keel doesn't move his mouth during the whole episode. Um, but there is some good narration from uh chambers in this and I, I there's a great sentence i wrote down. i said uh you know humanity is not used to charity we're used to brutality mm-hmm. so our initial uh a, a take would be like it, to not trust somebody coming to that wants to help us like we immediately assume that there's some sort of war coming um so they give a chance for a bunch of the delegates in the UN to ask questions. And they pretty much ask like, why? And the alien, uh, the Canamite says, uh, Canamit. It says, I see. I 
I keep telling you, I'm going to say it different every time. You could say Cinnabite um, or you could say, you know, Cinnabun. That's fine. Whatever you, whatever, whatever you want to call them. Cinnabites. Yeah. Um, so he said, you know, the earth is plagued by natural and unnatural catastrophes and they're there to help. And somebody else like, well, how are you going to help? And they, they tell him, you know, we're not going to force anything. Uh, we're just going to demonstrate what kind of powers we have, what kind of, what we can do to help you guys. And if you guys want it, you can have it. Um, so he says they're going to, they have some sort of power supply. That's uh, um, it's very cheap and it's going to power, you know, it's going to power half the country for just like a few dollars. So somebody else asks, you know, are there ulterior motives? Like there's got to be a reason why you want to help us. And they said, no, they just want to, uh, you just have to trust us. So they bring up the idea of adding nitrates to soil to basically take like deserts or um, areas like with drought and ending famine with that um, forest fields that you could put up to basically uh, protect every country so you can shoot missiles at each other. Um, So ultimately ending war, (laughs) which uh, I mean, it's a pretty big leap there, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, I'll take their word for that I one. I feel like if you put a force field up, then it means everybody inside is going to fight each other. That's what I feel like. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like a force field is just locking us in during a civil <laughs> war. Like perfect. Yeah. Um, but you know, walls work great, right? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, this is also the plot of the Simpsons movie. You know, like that's like the, speaking <laughs> yeah. of you know another callback to the Simpsons uh, and also the yeah, Stephen King funny. book Under the Dome, you know, but uh, I like that um, like Grigori is the one that's like questioning about like these different like power sources and everything. Like first he's eating a sandwich at the UN, which I love. And then when he's listening to uh, Kahneman talk to him, he has like a pencil in his lip and he's just rolling it back and forth. Like he's bored out of his mind. I, I don't know. It's like you're giving, you're talking to an alien from another planet and you're just going to be like, I don't want to be here right now. I'd rather just like, just play with this pencil in my mouth than listen to an answer. And I don't know if it was just that the director shot these like in between or something, but it just gave him like this, like element of dislike. This guy's he, he's just an asshole, but I, but I, I, I he is a, the most interesting character of this episode to me. So I, I liked him like questioning the candidate, but then just being like, I don't even care what you're going to say. I'm just going to chew this pencil. And it's, it's just so funny what uh, how his character was uh, brought to screen from the short story, because, I mean, it, it was him and Chambers the whole time it, trying to decipher uh, what these aliens are doing. And then when he <laughs> when Serling adapted this to a teleplay, they had a meeting, a sandwich and rolling a pencil around <laughs> in his mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess you don't want to so, give you don't want to give the Russians too much credit. Right. Like, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, got to give it to the pretty blonde lady. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, like the, basically, yeah, the canon, it's like, all you gotta do is trust me. And then there's this voiceover where, uh, you know, he talks about how it's the age of Santa clauses or whatever. He's like, it's the age of Santa. Um, and it was like, that was just a funny, that was a funny comment to me, but the whole notion of like, you know, it's now like all, all gifts are given, you know, like these things worked. You know, um, oh, but I, I should back up. Um, Kahneman like left his uh, his book for people like they're on the table in the UN and it has strange symbiology on it. And it was there for everybody to observe and look at. Yep. So he he talks about the age of Santa Claus and he says that people stop worrying except for a few. So that's when you get actually introduced to who Michael Chambers was. 
and uh, he is a decoding specialist for the U.S. government. So he's been given the job by the uh, uh, the colonels to pretty much go through this book and try and figure out what's inside of it and see if there's any clue to any ulterior motives or anything else. So he's got a whole team of people working on it. Nobody can make any uh, no nobody can make heads or tails out of the thing, and. Um, you know, you get the idea that uh, um, Chambers kind of trusts these aliens. He's like, you know, why why should we question this? They've helped us. Their methods have worked. Um, we're all going to be out of a job because we're not going to need a military anymore. Like, I, I think we're past the point of not trusting these aliens. So they've done good for us. Um, but the uh, the uh, the colonels are both kind of uh, skeptical on it. And they call all the stuff that the uh, Canaanites are doing, parlor tricks, and um, they they just feel like there's still something else going on. There's some Kentucky windage going on too. That was one of the things yeah. that was stated. <laughs> um, yeah, like they, they they are you know like apprehensive and yeah it, like understandably so uh, in the sense that like this is too good to be true. But then you know. Uh, they even see, uh, even Michael says, I think you guys are looking at gift horse in the mouth, like basically saying, you know, this might just be what it is, you know, and because of their ability to bring all this to us, we're all going to be out of a job. So he's like basically saying, I understand why you're apprehensive, but maybe this is for the best type of thing. Yeah. And it's kind of implied that like, you know, these are beings that are way smarter and more advanced than, uh, what human kind is. So maybe we just don't understand why they're just doing something just for the charity of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and maybe it's just something that we don't understand. So it's just, it, it things could just be as they seem. Um, but that's another thing. Grigori, more of his character traits from the short stories are given to those kernels that you see in this episode. Hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I kind of mentioned that he was split up among himself and uh, um, what's her name in this? Oh my God. Um, uh, Patty. Yeah. Um, but he's also kind of split up into that cause he's the one that's questioning them the entire time during the short story. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't see the benefit either way, but as long as the conversations had, I think that's important to the story. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think honestly, I think it was just to drag out time. I think you had to introduce more characters to get you into different situations just to have more dialogue mm-hmm. about the same thing because it's pretty streamlined within the six pages. <laughs> uh, but that, I, I yeah. feel like it covers the same ground, which is uh, not good when you stretch that out to 25 minutes. Yeah, right. So um, then then they find out like she she comes in and was like saying that the that they figured out the title of the book. The, the, the strange book, right? So that's whenever they hand it over and it says to serve man. And the one, the one general is like, I, I forget his actual phrasing, but he's more like, I hope that, I hope that is the case, you know? Um, so I, this is my question here. They, they really, they really jump uh, like a lot of like logic hurdles here about how, how are humans able to decipher a language that they have no point of reference for whatsoever, uh, and then they and they also decipher the title of the book, but then they don't figure anything else out. Like it's just it, there's these weird logic jumps that happen where it's like we got the title of the book, and then for months we're going to have no idea what the rest of it says. 
Yeah, we'll just give up. Like that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. basically what they say. Yeah, um, I know the story. The short story goes into more of a logic of how they were able to figure out some of it, and I know that's uh, something. Just to the extent of uh, the symbols are different for lowercase, mm-hmm. much like you know any of our languages are. If it's uppercase, it's a different symbol than if it's lowercase. So pretty much they're saying that everything on the cover was in capital letters but everything inside of it is lowercase so everything is completely different well that makes more that, sense not really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what i mean they they give a line yeah. to uh some sort of logic but i mean whatever it's yeah i i feel like you need more than one department <laughs> trying to decipher an alien language uh a written alien language at that you know i i feel like something like uh uh, what was the alien movie from arrival uh, arrival thank you i feel like that is uh makes much more sense to me with who they bring in and how they do it and how they approach it yeah absolutely um and just a, a shout out to the to futurama the show which they they make reference to this episode but there's a, like at least three different alien languages that are used like predominantly through that series that people that they'd never state stated how that they were translated but people figured out from clues in the show like there's different like parts of graffiti and things that people figured out that there's like a lot of these like you know uh slurs against earthlings and stuff in the background that they figured out from the alien languages that they made for the series and it's as well as things that if you never pay attention to it it's fine but if you dig in it's really rewarding so yeah I, I, uh so this i'm sure this inspired them to add some stuff like that yeah that's, that's funny um yeah, so then they end up going to some uh, footage of the UN and they're going to play some video footage for everyone <laughs> on the projector yeah. of a lie detector test being given to the canonite. And uh, so <laughs> they explain how a lie detector test works, <laughs> with, which I guess it's like probably two minutes of this episode. But I guess at the time, maybe. It wasn't so common knowledge how those things work and all that. So it may have been more interesting to check it out at the time. Um, I like that they used a flawed like detection device to verify truth, though. Like, you know, like lie detectors have been like proven time and time again not to do much. And it's like, no, no, no. We're going to attach to this alien and we're going to use a baseline. And then we're going to like, no, he's telling the truth. We're good. Like, okay, perfect. We don't even know if this thing has a heart. Um, (laughs) Or a pulse or anything. Or a pulse (laughs) or any sort of electric. uh, (laughs) Yeah. We're we're just going to see if this works. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they hook him up. And the scientist, he he basically uh, gives, feeds the, the alien questions. And ask him, uh, you know, like, how did you get here? And the alien would lie the first time and say, like, we walked. Um, and then you'd see the lie detector test going off or the machine going off. And then um, he would tell the truth and it would stay calm. So that was the way of proving that, like, hey, this thing's working. So he finally gets to the the main question of, like, what's your motive for actually being here? And the Kanamit says we're here to bring peace and it shows they telling the truth. So everybody's happy. So we get a montage yeah. of, uh, France, Japan and South America thanking the, uh, Kanamits for doing everything they've done. 
Like they, they wanted to be the people who'd be like, no, 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 we liked them before it was cool to like them. Like that's what it felt like. They're like, no, 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 we're good with them. We they're amazing. You know, it's it just feels like like social media now to be like, no, no, we're going to get out in front of this candidate thing and make everybody know that we're we're all about them. Like they're the best thing ever. Yeah. So you see that deserts have become gardens. The armies have been uh, disbanded. Everything is great. Mm-hmm. The world's uh, all the world's problems are fixed now. So we skip forward some amount of time, kind of unclear how far that is. But there's a bunch of tourists waiting in line to go onto a spacecraft to go to whatever planet they're going to. And um, the weird thing is everyone is weighing in, which I guess uh, I assumed it was there was some sort of weight restriction (laughs) on the spacecraft. (laughs) But it's kind of funny. Uh, when you get to the twist at the epi- at the end of the episode, what what's actually going on here? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of dark comedy that I appreciated. Like, I just like I, I always figured that the scale would be a red flag where it's like you know because we know more about space. It's like, yeah, it's kind of weightless up there. Why do you need like why are you yeah, weighing that's, everybody? That's you know? true. Like that <laughs> I didn't whole even thing. Think about that. But th- there's a brief bit, and I'll, uh, I'll end up like showing it over the course of the week when I post images. There's a brief bit when um, uh, Gregory is getting weighed, I believe, or somebody else, and. Uh, Richard Richard Keel like looks directly at the camera and has a small smile. Like I caught it, just it looks like he's just gritting at oh, the yeah. camera of like, oh, yeah, so I, the, like, I wait this guy. Yeah, that are going on, and the the, the woman steps onto the uh, thing, and he's like, all right, go ahead. And then the husband goes on there, and it's significantly heavier. And he does kind of smile, and he's like, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, 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 go right ahead. <laughs> he does smile at the camera. It's pretty and great. I, yeah, going back and seeing that scene again, it's, it's really funny. Um, so, yeah, you get a bunch of people kind of talking about what it's like on the other planet. And the one guy's talking about them having their own version of baseball there. Um, and everyone, everyone's very exciting. So we're back at the office laboratory wherever chambers is working with uh why can i never think of her name patty and they're just kind of bored there's really nothing to do um patty wants to go home and uh chambers is basically like what do you, what are you even doing here still there's nothing for us to decode there are no more secrets this is <laughs> this is boring now um so they're talking about the aliens and how there's thousands of them now embassies on every country. And he goes on this whole speech about how people adapt quickly. And, uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, it was John Glenn, right? Um, yeah, that you mentioned, um, there is just that day, a parade for John Glenn, because there's kind of a slight against him. Yeah. And, uh, the astronauts of that time where he's like, you know, people were, championing these people uh, making a rotation around the earth in these little hunks of metal. And now a few years later or a year later, they're lining up to go on a spacecraft to a different planet. Yeah, that that's, like that makes like me nothing's wonder even different. If they're commenting on like Yuri Gagarin, like the Russian that got up in space first, it makes me yeah. wonder if that was included in the script. But it's like it, it, it's the timing of it is so odd that you have to be like, if you're watching it that night, you're like, holy crap, how'd they know? You know, like that would have been, that would have been crazy. But yeah, it's like, like minute, like minimizing that amazing accomplishment of technology and man and a statement the same day we were throwing, you know, 3000 pounds of paper at a guy that did it, you know? So that's a, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think it was like, it was him minimizing anything. Like 
but it's it's just showing as like how meager of an advancement it was to getting on a spaceship to go fly to a different galaxy. Yeah. You know, like it's just showing how small that is compared to something like that that they're doing. So um, in in the concept of the story and everything, I don't think it was necessarily in bad taste. No, no, I don't think no, I'm just saying like it's very it's very um, dismissive in the sense of like, oh, we thought this, but this is actually what's going on and talking about how humans adapt so fast, you know, like, I mean. And it's true, but I thought it was just, it, you're right. I'm glad you pointed out because I had in my notes as well about the timing of that. It was very, very particular, you know? So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. So af- after they're talking about it, be- um, oh my God, Patty, I wrote down <laughs> Betty at one point in my notes. <laughs> this is terrible. You're going to eventually just say Padmint and you're going to just mix Patty and the, the, the Canamit together. Between the Canamit and, uh, see, I said it different again. <laughs> um, between the aliens and, uh, um, Patty. Patty. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. I cannot get these two names right. Uh, between uh, their conversation, Patty finally is like, So you got tickets to go on board, right? And Chambers is like, Nah, I, I, I did, but I'm on the wait list. So um, I'm not going quite yet. And it turns out that Patty's also on the wait list. So. Uh, she mentions, mentioned, eh, brings up the book and mentions that she still can't decipher it. And um, he's like, well, why even bother at this point? Like, everything's done. Like, just forget about it. So then we get another leap in time uh, that's not quite given. And they're boarding the ship or waiting in line mm-hmm. to board. And it comes time for Chambers to go on. And you get Patty running through the crowd and she's she's yelling for Chambers, trying to get his attention, trying to warn him. And she tells him that she's finally deciphered the cook, uh, the book and it's turned out to be a cookbook called To Serve Human. <laughs> to, or to, to, to Serve to, Man. To Serve Humans, yes. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> to Serve Man. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and, and so he immediately is like, oh shit, I, need, I don't need to be on this UFO. And then, <laughs> like, uh, you know, the Canamit, like, just kind of basically keeps him on the little staircase and it gets lifted up into the UFO and then it takes off. So, you know, he's he, he can't come back, you know. Um, and then that's when we get back to, like, the, the current time where he's now stuck in the cell and you know kind of going over the story and the the food shows up and there's this weird thing of where they're all it's like all in like saran wrap and he like just like rips open the food and just starts shoving it into his face like without using utensils um but before that i think it's when he, he does the whole like fourth wall break with his talk about the like the story yeah well first when they put the food in the room he throws it on the ground yeah that's right and then uh <clears throat> they got can um, come in to pick it back up again yeah, and then he looks at the camera, breaks that fourth wall, and says, "Like, what about you? Are you here with me? Or are you back on Earth? Eh, it doesn't really matter. We're all going to end up on the menu eventually. Yes, yeah, and then or later. just start shoving yeah. the food in his face, and that's where it ends. Yeah, and then Sterling's statement of from dust to dessert. It's like that's a that's a good it's a good stinger <laughs> to that. But just like the way yeah. he's just like shoveling the food in his face after he said he wasn't hungry, it's like he just knows that this is he knows what his ultimate fate is, but." He's just, you know, what else can you do? I mean, at least they give him cigarettes in space. That's nice. Yeah, that's true. Making that air uh, purifier work double time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Clean yeah. up all that cigarette smoke. Yeah. I just like to imagine it's pumping it all throughout the ship. <laughs> so everyone gets a hit of that sweet nicotine. <laughs> that's the sweet oasis cigarettes, the softest taste. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah. Um, I, I have some information here about the production of the episode. We'll get into that in a second. I, cause I feel like I, I ended up watching this, like ex- my expectations were high, uh, because the, the whole, it's a cookbook. It, it's tantamount to soil and green as people like that whole, like, those are the two things you go back to, like in terms of like, like the people were referenced these as kind of like, it's, it's a non sequitur statement that you get that this is the sudden twist ending involving, you know, people are being eaten type of thing. And so it is so big. And then the, actually I found out doing some, some reading that the, the actor, the, you know, Lloyd Bachner played a character in the naked gun two and a half where he runs through a scene at the end yelling, it's a cookbook holding it above his head. That's, that's pretty funny, you know, like, uh, and then like I mentioned the Simpsons, the hungry are the damn segment. And like, this is something that it gets revisited often. Like it's such a, a, you know, sudden twist that I think the twist is bigger than the episode itself in terms of how it's stuck out in people's minds in terms of the twilight zone. But I gotta say, like, I did not really care for the episode proper. Like, but that maybe because I knew where it was going the entire time, but I don't know, man, it just left me wanting. Yeah. I, I liked it. I think it's uneven. I think there are moments I really enjoy with it. And overall, I like where it, it started and ended up. Mm-hmm. I like some of the, uh, the humor in it. I mean, yeah. as as dark as the humor is, um, I enjoy it. I think the twist is very well deserved though, because they do a good job setting it up throughout the episode and just when you forget about the book she has the line about like you know i never got around to deciphering that and he's like yeah forget about it and then it ends up ultimately being his undoing you know it's it i think it's well deserved when you finally do get to that but i think the episode is so uh shoddily put together and so uneven throughout that it kind of takes away from the great story and the great backbone there is to this thing. Yeah. And so Sterling felt the same way about it. Uh, it says here, after viewing the rough cut, Sterling was displeased with the effort to serve man turned out piss poor, a combination of horrible direction and a faithless script, uh, that, that bit your back. Sterling told Damon Knight, uh, you know, the aforementioned demon Knight, October 12th, 1961, we're <laughs> reshooting some of the scenes. And it's my hope that we can, uh, at least come within a few hundred yards of your great story. So they didn't like what happened to begin with. And part of that was with Richard Keel's, uh, dialogue and the voice, like he actually did perform lines. I just didn't, didn't quite work right. And there was something missing. Um, so they kept, uh, they kept saying, well, we need to go back and kind of change it. So then eventually uh, they even changed the ending a little bit too. Uh, so I'll talk about that ending. Now the original cut ended abruptly when Pat shouts to serve man, it's a cookbook. And for a moment, Chambers looks stunned. A zoom into a close up his face as the horror takes hold. Slowly, a huge hand comes into the frame to touch Chambers' cheek, pinches it slightly as a feeling uh, for firmness. And then uh, the hand gently but firmly turns Chambers around and propels him up, um, you know, the, the staircase as it slowly closes. So I, I like the idea that this is more like, oh, he's plump. And they just send him on his way, but they had to change that. So, um, so when they changed it to his more aggressive, like fighting back, they shot that separately. So that's why Patty and he don't show up in the same scene together at the end. They cut it together to have him be more forceful mm-hmm. with his like, you know, like I need to get out of here. 
Um, so that was, that was deleted and there was some other stuff changed too. But, um, so they brought James Sheldon in to shoot, you know, some other scenes and then Serling came up with the frame of having the main character already be in the ship at the beginning and the end. That was all added later just to try to give some connective tissue with the story. So the voiceover and everything was also added later, which is actually pretty strong. Yeah. I, I'm kind of conflicted with it because, um, I, I really enjoyed the breaking of the fourth wall at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. I think it's 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 pretty memorable and uh it, it's kind of it, it's jarring when it happens you're not quite expecting it um but I I don't know like I I like the short story of just leaving you with like I think the final words are it's a cookbook that I think that have been I I think that still would have been a sledgehammer if they would if they would have set it up right that would have been a yeah, good the, like the the final line in the short story. I just uh, reopened it here. It's a cookbook, he said. See, I like that. That's a very screw you ending. And like I, you know, I, and I know we've talked about this enough times on the show that there's there's not a lot of episodes that end on a button like so immediately and stop. Like um, uh, what was it? Uh, it's a nice place to what was it a nice place to visit whatever the name yeah. of the episode was yeah. where like that ends like on just the break stop and it's like the episode's over and you're like, what just happened? And I feel like as much as I know you, you and I are of different minds of that episode. I loved that sudden ending the way it was. And with this, it could have been, it could have been that um, I, I still don't mind his looking directly at the camera. It's a decent payoff, but you're right. Like the, it's a cookbook would have been, Oh yeah. Just yeah. imagine the horror on his face. Like not even the stuff of him, like pinching his cheek and stuff. Like, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's goofy. Like, which He puts an apple um, in his mouth and then it pinches his cheek. They, and just until his way. <laughs> <laughs> they do reference that the, uh, that the cannabis have a sense of humor. That's like one of their endearing properties. They're, they're hideous to look at, but everyone kind of thinks they're, they're funny. Um, so that does kind of fit in with where the short story puts the, uh, the aliens. Um, but I, I can only imagine if, um, she ran up and just told him it's a cookbook and we just ended on that, uh, just a look of fear in uh, chamber's eyes, uh, just in his face. Like that would have been, that would have been a terrifying ending. To oh, I, I agree. Yeah. 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 So, but I, I don't think there was enough there in the rest of the episode. If you didn't have that framing uh, device around it, I've, I I think the rest of the episode would have suffered. So Serling and Buck Houghton were definitely, uh, they were at a disadvantage trying to go back and save this thing. Well, then, then, um, then Sterling goes on vacation for five weeks when they go to do the reshoots. <laughs> and he just basically tells Buck, he's like, I trust you. I know you're capable of doing this. There's a quote in here where like, it's, it, it's Sterling how he gets very wordy of like, I appreciate your effort and you're you know, with this backbreaking task, but it's more like, yeah, I'm not going to be around. Could you just make it better? Like type of thing. And then, <laughs> and then he comes back and agrees that's better. And he, but he still feels like he didn't do justice by the story. And you could tell the first person to speak on how, if they didn't feel like they stuck the landing would be Sterling, you know? So I appreciate his ability to be like, you know, this didn't turn out the way I wanted. And for him to openly tell, you know, Damon Knight, like after the first cut of like, you know, it's not great, but we're going to try. That's like, that's, that's big. That just shows his humility as, 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 as a presenter, as a creator. And then also his, his love of source material where he's like, we can do better than this. And yeah. yeah. And a writer. I mean, absolutely. That's, uh, we talked 
so many times on Strange Highways just about what a writer show this uh, Twilight Zone is. Um, that really shows you how much he placed, like how much value he placed on the people giving um, these stories for the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if this episode is a success, um, but again, just the shadow it casts for the twist. And it's something that's funny because I know uh, a lot of the times we watch episodes where we go to rate the twist and we're like, was there a big one? But this is one of those ones that the twist is so big that it's like when you think of the Twilight Zone, you think of that it's a cookbook. Uh, and I, you know, I, of course I was aware of that, but I just didn't know the episode improper. And yeah. it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's weird to see something that's so iconic from a, um, a shaggy dog of an episode. Yeah. Well, I, I, I read somewhere somebody referenced this episode as being uh, dated and not feeling because there's so many Twilight Zone episodes that feel like they're ahead of uh, ahead of their time. And uh, this one felt like it was from a decade earlier. And I totally agree with it. I mean, like I enjoyed this on a level like I do enjoy Earth versus Flying Saucers, which we didn't mention when the uh, when the UFO takes off again. After Chambers gets on, it's uh, footage from Earth versus the Giant Saucer with the effects from Ray Harryhausen. Which, you so, know, brief, brief aside on this episode, it's way too long, so I apologize in advance. So Earth versus the Flying Saucers, I'm like, why does that name sound familiar to me? It's actually part of that dialogue in that film is in the intro to Invasion of the Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was just like, why does that sound familiar? Oh, I hear it every week. So... I, the, the the shows are now interlinked, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm an idiot. I, I watched that that part of that movie, so and I didn't put two and two together until I started reading up on it. So clearly, I'm not paying attention to the things that I do. So sorry, aside over from the many asides we've had this episode. Yeah, so I I, I enjoyed it on that level, um, and uh, like I said, I'll, I enjoyed the twist, which we'll get to in a minute here, but it, it just. It really bummed me out that this episode was just kind of, it, it felt like scratched together. Yeah. Um, outside of that, there, there was nothing really, the visuals weren't really there. It just, there's this strong backbone of a story in this one that really saves this thing for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, um, it's, it's, it's definitely worthy of the conversation of what, like you could tell this, this type of story. And then, cause like last week we had a down home tale of a guy that just came back from the dead. That wasn't so good, you know, whatever. And the world's worst fist fight, but then you can then have this story, which is much more sci-fi and globally committed. And yeah. that's, that's the strength of the series is that you can go from, you know, point to point and, and not know what you're going to get. So as much as how I mixed about this episode, I appreciate that the stages have been set that I, we can shift from one thing to the next and just, you know, and, and not know what's coming. So I appreciate And as that. much as we're mixed about it, it is memorable. Yeah. Like this, this is an episode I'm not going to forget. So there is something to be said for that. Yeah. So, all right. I know we talked a lot about this episode, probably a lot more than maybe, I don't know. It's been a good talk, but do, <laughs> like, do you have anything else? I don't know. Like I, I don't have any other notes. No, I, I don't think there's much more in this one. All right. Let's just, let's just rate the twist. This will be where I'm very forgiving. I'm going to give it a five because it is one of those things that even if you don't know the twilight zone, you know it. So it has to be a five for me. Yeah. Um, I was, I was going to do the same thing. Uh, five on the twist. Like I said, it's, it's a shocking twist. It's funny. It's dark. Uh, 
it's kind of terrifying. Um, it's earned. Like it's a, it's a great twist and it's a great story. Um, some of the production doesn't quite live up to the great story that it is. And, and Richard Keel just looks like he's just half asleep. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately being his only twilight zone appearance. Yeah. So, but at least we got to talk about Richard Keel. I got to talk about man from uncle again and <laughs> jaws. Uh, I never yeah. thought I'd be bringing up a happy Gilmore in the context of the twilight zone. So yeah, I'm okay <laughs> with that too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, some letdowns, some high points, uh, overall an okay episode, but with a great twist. Yeah. So, all right. Before we talk about uh, next week's episode, Kevin, how can people find us? Oh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube at strange highways podcast. You can email us and leave us voicemails over at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, Podbean. Uh, satchel pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts i believe if you ask alexa to play strange highways it'll play our most recent episode same thing with google um, home if you uh, say yeah. it, it'll do it so uh, um if if you have one of those uh, and that's something you do i don't think i've ever asked my google home to play a podcast but um if that's something you do, definitely check it out. I've been messing around with it, trying to get it to work, and I think it's working now for Amazon. So um, check that out. All I use Google for is to add inappropriate items to my wife's shopping list. Like, because <laughs> it shows up on her phone, and I'll ask for, like, add farts to shopping list. So, like, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, it, it would definitely help us out if you'd head over to iTunes because it seems like most people are getting the show from there. And uh, if you're enjoying it, leave us a five-star review. Get the word out. Get some other uh, Twilight Zone fans on board to check out the show. Yeah, absolutely. So next week, um, The Fugitive. It is the story of a guy trying to chase a one-armed man. No, um, then this <laughs> that would been amazing. What if it's the pilot for The Fugitive that was in The Twilight Zone? Um, all right. <clears throat> Next week on the Twilight Zone, contributor Charles Beaumont provides us with the most charming tale of an old man and some children. An old man who's an exceptional playmate. Exceptional because, well, how many old men do you know that can change into monsters? Mr. Beaumont's excellent tasting stew is further seasoned by an element of mystery. It's called The Fugitive. We hope to see you next week. Really, Rod, you went into the food comments right after the end of this episode. Like that's uh and he he really front loaded it last week too, if you remember the intro. He's like, it's a it's a it's a hearty meal to serve man. It's like let let the episode breathe. You don't need to lean into it so hard. But yeah. Next week, the fugitive from uh Chuck Beaumont, which I've I've not seen this one, but it's good to get some Beaumont back in here. Yeah. I, I this one I could see being a, uh, a sleeper hit for us for the series. It sounds really interesting. Just, a, just um, as sleepy hope- as Richard Keel's face. That's <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully uh, Richard Albert uh, gets a little bit, um, a little bit tighter with his direction on this one. But yeah. So, all right. So I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, pretty much almost like double length. Well, whatever. It's. You got an extra third. If we're talking about an episode called "To Serve Man," this one's a little bit more plump around the edges, so it feels very appropriate. So I hope to you guys serve, to serve listeners. To serve listeners, um, <laughs> it's a podcast. No, uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed this talk. I really had a good time with this. I knew there was going to be a lot to get into. Just whatever. So anyway, next week the fugitive. Uh, for now, I, I don't know. Just. Uh, I got nothing good. Like just uh, stay in your tiny room, smoke cigarettes and eat your peas wrapped in saran wrap. And then, you know, and then be, be dust or dessert. That's what I got to say. 
Yeah, I'm kind of hungry now. I think I'm going to go bust out my own cookbook and uh, <laughs> serve something. Hopefully not man.